If you have a Bible with you, I want you to open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of Pentecost. Today is what we call Pentecost Sunday, and I'll explain that as we kind of go through. But I'm not sure what your college experience was like. For me, my college experience was like this. I moved to Florida. I lived in Iowa my whole life, and I moved all the way to Florida. So I moved very far away from my parents. I had never, ever done a load of laundry. I had never, ever gone grocery shopping. I'd never gone and bought shower curtains or anything, you know, toothbrush holders, none of those things, a bed, dressers. I'd never purchased or bought any of those things. And so when I went down to school, my dad went with me down to Florida. So we packed up my awesome chick magnet Plymouth Neon two-door, and we drove all the way down to Florida. It was 18 and a half hours it took us to get there. And so we got there, and my dad stayed with me for a few days. I got, you know, classes. I got my books. I got all those things, and um, I bought a bed and some of those things. And then the day came when my dad left me there all by myself. And I don't, like I said, I don't know what your college experience was, but Having never done those things before, I was extremely uncertain. I was very, very nervous. I was, I was scared. And I remember I dropped my dad off at the airport because he was going to fly home because he, he rode with me. And I bawled all the way out of the airport and all the way back to my house that I was going to live in with my new roommates who didn't really know me. And so I drove home and I sat out in my car for a little bit. I tried to get myself a little bit together because these guys were probably thinking, what's wrong with this guy? You know, what's going on? And uh, it was just a lot of uncertainty for me. I had never experienced a lot of these things before. And so I was doing it, doing it for the very, very first time. What's happening here in Scripture, we're going to kind of pick it up. Jesus has just, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven and these 12 apostles, and really there's a gathering of 120 people we're going to talk about, who have spent time and spent the last three, three and a half years around Jesus, their master, this one who has been their fearless leader. And now their fearless leader has left them, and now it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for people to serve. It's time for people to, to step up. And now they need a, a new person who's going to be the main communicator. And so lots of things are going on here as we pick it up in Acts chapter 1. But before we get to that, and in verse number four, I want to read this to you because Jesus is leaving some final instructions and he says this in verse four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Once again, we see something prevalent in the culture of Jesus and his disciples as they ate together a lot. That's important for what we're going to talk about later. And he gives them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me, Jesus, speak about. For John baptized with water, John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? So these, these, these people that are here are already followers of Jesus. They're already what we would call Christians, Christ followers. So they're already Christ followers. And he's letting them know, you're going to experience something different than you've experienced before. This thing where he says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's skip down to verse number, um, eight, and, uh, verse number eight and nine. He says, but you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
After he, Jesus, said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. So these, these are the final words that Jesus gave to his apostles, his disciples. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Remember, they were followers of Christ. Something different is going to happen to you and it's going to give you power to do something you've never had power to do before. Do you remember when, when Peter failed Jesus and Jesus restored him? We talked about this a few weeks ago. He restored him and, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. And, and he kind of got a little bit frustrated. What Peter was going to experience in a few days was a love that he would have for people that he could never have before without the Spirit giving him power to do it. So, so, so let's keep on reading. Verse number 12. So they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. Okay, we call it, you've probably heard it called the upper room. And so it says, uh, those present, and it lists, a lot, it lists the apostles, and it lists, lists a list of people. And then in verse 14 it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his disciples. And so it tells us that there's about 120 people in this room. And they call it the upper room. It was a room that was just upstairs. There's no, nothing specific other than it's a room, an upstairs room. So here's a hundred and people gathered in this room. They're there, and there's a few decisions that they have to make. Who's going to be? Who's going to take Judas's place? Remember, Judas he betrayed Jesus, and then he hung himself, and so they needed to to replace him with someone. So they drew lots, or they cast lots, and uh, they replaced him. And then they, um, they were very uncertain because Jesus had just left them. He had promised them the Holy Spirit. So they were seeking God about the Holy Spirit, who, they should, uh, who should be appointed. And also, we have to believe they were a little bit uncertain or a little bit nervous. Jesus had just left them. He had just spent three, three and a half years investing in their life. He's gone. Now they're all by themselves, and now they've got to fulfill the great commission that God had given to them, and he gives to each one of us. Okay? So, they're there, and they're facing uncertainty. And so let me just say this, really as just kind of a point of reference is, when you are uncertain, seek God. All of us have uncertainties in life, don't we? We all have those uncertain things that come up. It could be a financial challenge. It could be a relationship challenge. It could be, for me, personally, as the pastor, a lot of times, you know, you, you know I, I look at this, and I'm like, okay, we got a $6,500 bill coming up. And it's easy to be like, you know, I, we need to lead the people to give to this. And if they don't give, then, then, you know, it's easy to kind of put it on yourself. But we're here together and it's uncertain. Are we going to really raise the 6500 And if we don't, where are we going to take the money from to cover this? And so all of those uncertainties. But in our uncertainty, we need to seek God. No matter what it is. Where to go to college. Where, all of those things that you, you may be uncertain about. So let's go on to chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. They've just replaced, replaced Judas. And now Matthias has been put in, uh, put in his place. And here's what it says in chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. So there's been a 10 day window here. Okay, So they started gathering and now 10 days have happened. When the, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place in the upper room. 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so let me just kind of step back for a few seconds. We are an Assembly of God church. One of what, uh, one of what would be called a distinctive of our faith or, or our denomination is this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a, uh, uh, something that we hold, hold fast to as a denomination. And what we believe is that when someone is filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of that is speaking in tongues, okay? And so that happened on the day of Pentecost. There are three other scripture references where it happens where, where someone, it says they were filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. Now, if you don't have any background in Pentecostal theology or understanding, or, or maybe you haven't really read through this a lot, when, when we hear speaking in other tongues, sometimes that can be very confusing for people, okay? I know growing up in the church, I didn't understand what speaking in tongues was. And so my only frame of reference growing up in the church for what speaking in tongues was, was that if I invited a friend to church, I was nervous that someone in the church was going to speak in tongues and my friend was going to get freaked out by what had just happened. That was my only frame of reference really growing up. I didn't understand it in my mind what it, what it was or the benefit of it. But I want to kind of give you Really what happens when someone speaks in tongues, what's really going on in them? Because it says they were filled with the Spirit. They, they had become so filled with it, later on Peter has to explain that they were not drunk or that they were not inebriated by it. Okay, so let me kind of, let me explain to you. I, wanna, I was reading a commentary in preparation and, and this just explained it to me in a way that I never really thought about before. It says, when we understand the complicated mechanism of articulation through the system of the brain, we begin to see what a phenomenal thing happened to the Lord's people that day. The cerebral cortex of the brain sends a signal to the Brockus speech center where words are formulated. This area lies on the lateral side of the dominant brain. With the aid of the motor cortex on both sides of the brain, messages are sent deep into the brain where the medulla lies. Here, two cranial nerves, the 12th, which controls the tongue, and the 7th, which controls the mouth, are stimulated into action. This happens every time we talk. Every time you say a word, this is what's happening, okay? At the same time, the cerebral motor cortex takes over voluntary control of respiration from the medulla oblongata, where the involuntary respiratory center usually controls respiration, Signals are sent down from the phrenic nerve to the diaphragm and to the thoracic nerves to cause the person to exhale on command. The combination of all this produces speech or words. That we, that we can think and then express our thoughts in words in our own language is evidence of the wonder of our creation. That's all that's happening every time you say a word. Okay, that's pretty amazing to me. But he goes on and here's what he says. But what, but what about other tongues? Luke tells us that the praise of the spirit-filled believers was spoken in the languages of the people gathered in Jerusalem. 
This is an indication of how completely filled and under the influence of the Spirit they were. The magnificent mechanism of speech was utilized by God to enable the believers to think and articulate in languages they had not previously known. So when someone speaks in tongues, I know I'm kind of going deeper than maybe you, you want me to go, but, but when someone speaks in tongues, what's happening is you're giving over control to God to speak through you in words that you have never learned. So what's happening, there's a large group of people who come to Jerusalem during this time of year, and so there's people from all different languages that are there. And as these, uh, as these 120 begin to speak out in these tongues, what's happening is the people from all these other different places that have gathered there, they're like, hey, they're speaking my language. They were speaking in a tongue that they knew, someone from a different place. So that would be like me um, going to a country that I had never been before. I don't speak French. I've never spoken French before. That would be like me going to France and just knowing the language to speak. It doesn't just happen. Usually you're learning it in some way, shape. Maybe you'll take a class or Rosetta Stone or something. These 120 people had no idea what language they were speaking but there were men and women in the crowd who knew exactly their language because they were speaking their language, okay? So what speaking in tongues is not, I took four years of Spanish in high school. Me speaking in tongues is not me speaking the Spanish that I know from high school. Me speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that I've never known, I've never learned, I've never understood in the past, and God is, is speaking through me in a language I've never known before. Okay, and so it's, it's, it's supernatural is what's happening when someone speaks in tongues. And so that's what's happening here on the day of Pentecost. So, so this happens, and then Peter, Peter's now becoming kind of the mouthpiece for the church at this point in time. So Peter stands up, and he begins to address the crowd. And he says, hey, they're not drunk as you think they're drunk. They're not, they're not inebriated. There's nothing wrong. What he's saying is they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit speaking through them. This is something new. And then he goes in and he begins to talk about old prophecies from the Old Testament that some of these people would have understood based off of what they knew in the Old Testament. And so he kind of goes and he speaks and, and he talks about miracles and wonders and, and all these things. And then I want to pick it up in verse 36. He's just kind of spoken to all these people. In verse 36 it says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's letting them know, you killed Jesus. You were part of killing Jesus. And as he's, as he's spoken through all of these things, here's what it says in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do. In other words, they were so convicted by what he had said. The Holy Spirit had spoken through Peter in such a way that they were cut to the heart. They were really, really convicted. They were, they were cut to the heart. They knew their sin had been exposed. Verse 38, Peter replied, they said, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call, our Lord our God will call. 
Verse 40. With, other, with many other words, he, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So God moved in an extremely powerful way on the day of Pentecost. So much so that people from, uh, from, people from other places, other, other countries, other, other places, they began to understand God in a new way that they had never been exposed to before. And because of it, they were cut to the heart. God exposed their sin to them because they said, what do we got to do? What do we got to do to make things right with God? And he says, repent and be baptized. This was an amazing event in history that one we as a church and assembly as a God church, we celebrate, we believe. That's why every year we do Pentecost Sunday to really place an emphasis on God moving in our midst. We want God to move in our midst. When we pray before service, when the worship team prepares for service, when I prepare a message, we're preparing for God to have his way in people's hearts and lives and minds so that he speaks to people and he transforms us and changes us. Now, some of us look back at this and we're like, why doesn't God do that today? Why isn't God doing this today? Why isn't God moving in this way? You may look back and if you have any sort of background in a Pentecostal church, you might say, I remember when God moved during this evangelist came to our church or, or this revival happened and, and I want God to move like that again. And, and listen, as you look around and as you read the headlines every day, don't you believe that we need God to do something in our country? Not just in our own country, but around the world. God needs to do some things. God needs to change some hearts. We need, we need an experience where, where people's hearts were, are, are cut to the core of who they are. And that's, what do we got to do? Uh, several weeks ago, it's been going on for over a month now, in West Virginia, there's a teenage boy who just became, he was filled with the Spirit, and he just, he started in his hallways talking about Jesus. And so he, I want you to picture in a high school, in a high school, just a hallway, he's telling people about how much Jesus loves them and how they need to get their life right with God and how much he loves them and God loves them and all these things. And it's overflowed so much. They're in a town of, I think, like 20,000 people, 17,000 people. And in the last month, over 2,000 people in this community have come to know the Lord because it started with this teenager who got on fire for God and a movement started in this community. And now it's, it's in West Virginia. You can look it up when you go home. But even, uh, even the Assemblies of God and the Pentecostal Evangel have acknowledged this. And he, uh, an Assemblies of God evangelist is there and he's leading students to the Lord. And it's been just an amazing, we would call it a, a refreshing or a revival or an outpouring God moving in people's lives. And as more and more happens, and as this world becomes more and more dark, we ask ourselves, why isn't God moving? Why doesn't God do more of that? Why can't God do that here? Why can't God do that at North High, or East High, or West High? Why can't he? Here's one of the reasons that I would, I would say is that Maybe the reason that God isn't moving is because we're too busy condemning the world of their sin all the while ignoring the sin in our own hearts. I think a lot of times we get on our soapboxes and we have to boycott every company who doesn't hold to the beliefs that we hold to and so we want to boycott them until they believe like we believe. The world will never believe like we believe unless Jesus changes their hearts. And so... I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up for things, 
But oftentimes, we are more outraged about the sins of people who are not in the church than we are in the sin in our own heart. I wonder if we judge the world as harshly if we judged ourselves if we would be where we are spiritually. I just want us to be people who look within rather than looking out. Before you condemn anybody that you work with who's not a Christian for their sin, you better be looking in the mirror at the sin that you have in your own heart. Some of us are not personally experiencing any growth in our lives because we have sin in our heart. We have bitterness, we have unforgiveness, we have resentment, we have all these things in our heart and we're not able to move past those things because really we're clinging to those things. Someone hurt us, someone did something. And God is not moving in your life and in your heart because you're too busy condemning what other people have done to you rather than looking in your own heart and seeing your own unforgiveness and bitterness. Or you can, you can fill in the blank of whatever that might be. We've talked a little bit about what happened before Pentecost. We've talked a little bit about what happened on the day of Pentecost. My favorite part of the story is what happens after Pentecost happens because I'm not so sure that the goal of the, I'm not sure that the gifts of the Spirit are the goal of what God wants to do. I'm convinced that the goal of what God wants to do is found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So turn your attention there. A lot of, there, there are people, theologians, people who believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost until what I'm about to read to you has been anywhere up to five years has happened, okay? So here's, in between the time of the day of Pentecost, here's here's what the result of Pentecost is. In verse 42 it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good, and and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That right there is a snapshot, a picture of what the early church was. Acts 2, 42 through 40, um, 47. They devoted, I know we talk about this, I talk about this all the time because this for me represents church community. They devoted themselves. The word devote means they adhered to. When you think of the word adhere, you think of adhesive. They, they stuck like superglue to these four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, eating together, and prayer. That was what the early church was about. And as they did those things, they saw miraculous signs. They were together and they wanted to be around each other. Listen, if you come to church and you don't want to be around someone that you come to church with, you need to look at your heart. They may have done something to you in the past. You need to ask, you need to forgive them. You might need to go talk to them about that. But if we go to church with people who we don't like or we're unforgiving towards, how are we going to love people out here who don't live the way we live or who don't follow the same God that we follow? 
But it says they, they were seeing miracles. They loved each other so much so that they were willing to sell their possessions for the benefit of the whole. So if something happened to Jim and Deb, what that would look like is people from this church would sell their possessions to help meet the need that Jim and Deb have. Why? Because they were in community with each other. They devoted themselves to, to, to prayer, scripture reading, um, breaking bread, fellowship. They were devoted to these things. We need to be devoted to the word of God. We need to hold on to this thing because guess what? There are a lot of people in today's culture who are trying to change the meaning of what this thing says. And so we gotta be devoted to what this actually says to us. We've got to be devoted to fellowship. I love shaking hands with you every Sunday morning. That's, that's a good, quick, hi, how are you doing type of thing. That's not really fellowship of, 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 of being around each other, just spending a lot of time together eating together. One of my favorite things is, is what's happening after church a lot of times outside in the lobby. There is fellowship out there. But also is when I hear people making plans to go out to lunch with one another. That's one of my favorite things when people from church, maybe who, who don't normally eat together, make plans to go out to lunch with one another and to prayer. If there's one thing that we have access to more than anything, it's prayer. God moved in a mighty way on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, something's coming. That something came to them. It filled them in such a way that it, it, it took them over. That it took them over so much that the words that came out of their mouth were inspired by the Holy Spirit, not by ourselves. If there's one thing that I think we need in the church world, it's words inspired by the Holy Spirit rather than our own words. Because too often our own words can be harsh, they cannot be encouraging. They cannot be uplifting. They cannot be full truth. They can just be what we want them to be. But if the Holy Spirit speaks through us, everything can change. And one of the things I love about the story is when God moved, there was repentance. That's a, that's a sure sign that God is moving. Anytime there's ever been a move of God, there's always been repentance. Now, you may be here and you may have never, you, you may say, I've never given my life to the Lord before. This morning you have an opportunity to commit your life to the Lord and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to forgive me of my sins and give me a fresh start. That may be you. Some of you are here and, and you may be Christians, followers of Jesus, but you're not experiencing the full, alive, vivid faith that God has for you. And the reason why could be because there's something that you need to be forgiven of, whatever that may be. The other thing I want to give people an opportunity for is to experience what they experienced on the day of Pentecost. They experienced God filling them in a way that he had never filled them before. He filled them in such a powerful way that they began to speak and communicate in other languages. He filled them. He baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that he still does that. In 2016, we believe that God still fills people with the Holy Spirit and they speak in other tongues. We believe that we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's, there's all these gifts of the Spirit that we can see. The gift of prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, interpretation of tongues, all of these gifts. But every one of these gifts is for the benefit for, for people, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. They're for the benefit of other people. So this morning, I want you to stand with me and we're just gonna take a couple minutes and Tony's gonna sing that song, Holy Spirit, again. And we're just gonna kind of sing the chorus together and then 
what I want to do is I want to give people an opportunity for prayer this morning. Whether you want prayer, maybe you're here and you need Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You can, you can ask Jesus to forgive you and make you new this morning. If you are here and you're a Christian, but there's sin in your life and you know that it's holding you back from what God has or for the spirit-filled life that you could have, you can repent of that this morning. God can make you new as well. And if there's anybody in here who would say, you know what, I want to ask God to fill me with this Holy Spirit. I want to give God an opportunity to do this in my life. There's no special formula. There's, there's